0: Raise your hand if you're giblets. Oh, raise your hand if you're no giblets. Look at all the, sorry, this is a no giblet class. We fried our turkey and Mike missed the giblet bag, so we fried the giblet bag in the turkey. (laughs) I looked at that when he brought it in, I said, you didn't take the bag out. He said, what bag? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I said, that's the giblet bag. He went, oh, cool. I didn't know where they were at. He's not much of a, a kitchen guy, you know what I mean? It's just sort of, but I put him in charge of frying the turkey, and he did a good job. So if you need a turkey fried, do it yourself. Right? He's like, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, they were cooked. I mean, I guess you could have went ahead, and um, you could have you could have went ahead and cut them up, made your giblet gravy out of them, and... That's right. Yeah. It, I, actually, it was probably a good call on your part. So, we've all had our Thanksgiving, and I'm glad you're all here this morning. Um, should we open up with prayer? And if we have any prayer requests, it would be a good time. Yes. He's not what? He's not the one from Gary Green. Okay. Oh. No, not he, A different Steve Payne. I was good either way because I didn't know. Yes. That's right. Okay. The call in hospice with Lynn, right? So we pray for that family. Yes. Stacy? Your brother. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, oh. He did. Was it COVID or? was we pray for it was your brother-in-law your brother-in-law died of cancer and the general superintendent of Belize. let's pray anyone else yes oh we'll miss y'all we've already kind of adopted you well safe traveling for you anybody else let 's pray, Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that you hear and answer prayer. I pray Lord God for Lynn Wolf right now. I ask that you would, your mercy and grace would be extended to him, Lord God, as you see him in this in this last stages of his life lord god i pray that you would bear him up on angels wings lord god and that he would have a peaceful transition from this life to the next lord i pray lord god for this one who is suffering with cancer in his body we just rebuke cancer in the name of jesus i ask lord god that you would bring a healing touch lord that you would minister grace lord god that that he would see many more years of healthy life lord god i pray for those who are suffering with this virus i ask that you would touch their body that you would strengthen immune systems, Lord God, that you would give us, Father, the ability to fight this, Lord God, and give us the wisdom and the knowledge and the discernment to move forward, Lord God, in in, the future, Lord God, with a, a day that we can have peace, Lord God, and that we can walk in joy. And Lord, I pray that you would defeat COVID for your kingdom's sake, Lord God, that we can travel, Lord God, into foreign fields, Lord God. I pray that everything that hinders the furtherance of the gospel will be stopped in the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord God, that you would move, Lord God, that you would open up churches, Lord God, that the word would go forth with strength and boldness and power, Lord God. For your name is at stake, Lord God, for the honor and the glory of your name, Lord God. I I pray that you would move and move significantly in this last day, Lord God. And anybody who opposes your kingdom, Lord God, I pray that you would move them aside, Lord God, in your wisdom. We thank you for this day, Lord God. We give you glory, honor, and praise. We are not afraid, Lord God, and we are not rejected, for we know that you are able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think, according to that power that's at work within us, Lord God. And we have great confidence in your name, for we stand in your name's sake, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, that's one of the things that we're praying about is that we want COVID to be removed because it is a inhibitor of the gospel. Mission stops the moving. So I always take a prayer and I look at it and I try to fit it into the lens of how does this impact the kingdom? Because that's what the, when, when the disciples asked the Lord to teach them to pray we call that the Lord's Prayer I think it should be called the Apostles Prayer not to mess with our doctrine <clears throat> but it's not the Lord's Prayer he's not praying that for himself he said forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others did Jesus have any trespasses no so he's teaching the apostles. they said Lord teach us to pray so he gave them the apostolic prayer he said you know pray this way our Father I like how it includes us in that first generation, don't you? Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If you can start at the kingdom and every prayer request you make, find the assignment with regard to kingdom and pray that way. I'll never forget the guy who came. He was a missionary to all kinds of places. His name is Mark Trapura. Right, Mike? Is that right? And he was, he's Indonesian. And he was, many of you may remember him. Um, he, he broke in English, but he had seen so many powerful things done. And he was here in the United States and he was telling a story. Uh, he came and he preached on a Wednesday night. And I think he preached another time on a Sunday morning. But he came and he told a story about how he was diagnosed and dying from malaria. Now, he had had malaria so many times, and it so had weakened his body that he had gotten malaria this time, and he was laying on his deathbed, and he just wasn't getting any better, and he was praying. And he said at that time, he he began to pass away, and he experienced his spirit leaving his body. He said, and my spirit left my body. I was so weak, I knew I was dying. And he said, and as my spirit left my body, he said, I was so exhilarated. I was so excited. He said, my spirit began to just fly over the ground. And I knew I was going to heaven. And I said, oh, he said, I began to pray. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to heaven. This is wonderful. This is excellent. I'm, you know, he said, I could feel that I didn't have the pain in my body anymore. He said, God, this is wonderful for me. And he said, but it's terrible for you. Who will do what I do? And this is the story he told. He said, his body stopped right there. And it went. Completely back into his body. He went, (gasps) he said, The Lord, when I told him that I wasn't, that it was not going to, he said, Lord, it's good for me. He said, But it's bad for you. Who will do what I do? Isn't that great? Talk about a guy who knows his assignment and he went back to his body. And not only did he get back to his body, he was healed of malaria instantly. And he was so healed of malaria, he said, I can't even catch malaria anymore. He said, I can be with mm, with people who have malaria. He said, I am completely immune to malaria. I love that. So when I pray, I often think about that story from Mark. And I say, Lord, I'm asking for this. And I try to look at it through the lens of kingdom assignment. Does that make sense? When you pray for resources, what do you want resources for? Is it for kingdom assignment? When you pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, that's the first layer of praying is kingdom assignment. See, many of us, we, we miss our target in prayer because we have absolutely no assignment for it. We want things to want them and we have no purpose in wanting them and we have no design, no divine design for them. That's all extra. So we're turning today to Genesis 24 as we continue to st- study the ministry of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> God, I guess allergies. It's just allergies, y'all. Okay. This is a... Well, I'm going to go to Romans first. Y'all hold your place in, in Genesis 24 because we've been to Romans so many times. Hold on. Romans 8. I'm just going to read this as you're turning to Genesis 24. It says here, 8 and 22. No, 21 that creation itself also will be set free from bondage to to decay. It's in the bondage to decay and to the glorious freedom of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans together and suffers birth pains until now, not only creation, but even ourselves. We ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. In hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if you hope for what you do not see... Then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. In the same way, in the same way as what? I always read those things and I'm, what are you talking about? In what same way? Well, all I can derive from that is in the same way that hope is not seen. In the same way, the spirit who is not seen also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray as we should, but the Ruach or the spirit himself intercedes. What does he intercede for? For us because we don't know how to pray with groans too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows the mind of the spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now I love the thought that the Holy Spirit is interceding in us and for us and through us for the things of God. Now I've shown you this before that there are the three groans in there and the spirit of God groans with ability. Now I don't miss the fact that Many, many sermons have been taught, lessons have been taught on, on intercessory prayer, right? You, what is, when I say intercessory prayer, what am I talking about? Interceding for other people, standing in an intermediary role and in taking the needs of others to the Lord. I do not for a second devalue that message of you. I mean, how many of you have heard a hundred lessons maybe on intercessory prayer? And I'm praying and interceding for other people. Maybe it's been lost as an art. I'm sure it has. but And that's the place. I think intercessory prayer and, and intercession is the target for us. But what I think happens so often is we don't make it to intercessory prayer, true intercessory prayer, because we, we miss the value of what the Holy Spirit is doing in us to make us identified As the beloved or identified as accepted or what I talked about last week I called it bridal identification but we could kind of bring that into another word and call it bridal relationship now when Adam slept what what did the Lord do he made Eve. he pulled Eve out of Adam right was Eve invented before Adam slept well maybe just in the mind of God right but not on earth now, when, when Jesus slept, what, what happened? Who was pulled out of him? The bride of Christ, his bride. So we see that. We see that conceptually. Was the bride of Christ in existence prior to Jesus laying in a tomb? No, because there was no church yet, Right? His body, there's no bride of Christ per se. Now, isn't that fun and interesting to think about the first Adam, while he slept, that Eve was his bride, relational, equal, was pulled from him. And then while Jesus slept in the tomb, that's what, you know, biblical language, sleeping is what? Dead, yeah. So, while Jesus slept, then the bride he's called the last adam who was pulled out of him the church that's exciting and if eve was adam's relational equal then the church is christ's relational equal i don't know if we feel that way do what we have a terrible time with that and i think if we can fix that then intercession wouldn't be such work. See, that's what I'm trying to get to. So I'm not trying to go, I'm not trying to avoid the old, I'm not trying to move any ancient landmarks, if you will. But what I'm trying to do is maybe look for blind spots in our theology, You know what I'm talking about? Go from a different angle and come around and see what we're missing. Because I have learned that Western theology has taught me a lot of things that are not true about God. I mean, I really have. And they're so ingrained in you that you can't even sift them out. You just believe what you believe what you believe. And if I were to question you, why do you believe that? You're like, I don't know. You don't even know. It's just so much in you. And one of the kernels of Western theology that I believe has left the church anemic and relationally unconnected to Christ as the bride, as bridal identification, is the idea that God is mad all the time. And that he is always one breath away from punishing us. Now, is that not hard to kind of get out of ourselves? How many of you are raised in that type of ideology? I think it's, and I don't, I don't know where it came from. I think part of it, I, I won't even get into where it came from. So I'm try, I am personally going in a reading journey of trying to go way past that. So I'm reading Saint Athanasius right now. He was he was he wrote in the 300s. So I'm trying to hit people who who were before our Western the way before our Western theology. Yeah, yes. I think it absolutely. I'm stepping. I think absolutely the idea right where, where that the idea of God being holy and that we are made holy in Christ and and the acceptance factor there and that holiness in Christ also has a value toward our, our lifestyle right and and it's the whole totality of it this is what I have observed is that what was um, experiential in one generation we'll say it that way. Let's let that settle in. What was experiential in one generation can become codified in the next. You you know what I'm saying? Like, let's take the holiness movement, for instance, 1900s. Azusa Street. From Azusa Street, the holiness movement came forth. You know what I'm talking about when I say holiness movement? You know what we call Pentecostal holiness movement, where, you know, no makeup and those type of things. That's where it came from. If you trace it back, you'll see that there's the holiness movement that came out of there. And I think that it was very experiential in that day. That those people, from their love of God and their ardent fervor to honor God and in their time, and in the culture of the time, that they expressed themselves in true ardent worship. And, and it, it was, it was their, their reasons for what they did were relational and not legalistic. But then they took that and they began to codify that to the next generation of do this and do this and don't do that and don't do that. But that next generation didn't have the experience to attach it to. And you take that and just add it year after year, generation after generation, and it becomes like the, the old story about the, the guard who stood in, Ru- in Red Square in Russia. Every day a guard was stationed in Red Square in Russia. Stood there. Stood there forever. Generations. Why does the guard stand there? Because he's always stood there. Why does the guard stand there? Because he's always stood there. No one seemed to know the answer why a guard was stationed every day in Red Square at that time. They began to unpack to find out why does that, why are we doing that? Only to find out that a czar of the time, a little, his little daughter looked out the window and there was a beautiful flower that had grown through the cracks of the bricks in Red Square. And she was so afraid that someone would pluck the flower or in the, in, in the busyness of the day, someone would trample the flower and she told her daddy that she wanted to save the flower and he wanted to please her so much that he stationed a guard to guard the flower. Well, the flower had been gone for many, many years, but the guard remained. Or the story of the woman who, who the daughter... And the granddaughter cut the end off of the pot roast before they cooked it. Before you cook the pot roast, you cut both ends off. That's what the recipe said. Okay. So, generation after generation, daughters were taking the roast and they were cutting the ends off and discarding them. So finally, once somebody said, why, why are we cutting the ends off of the pot roast? They visited their elderly, it was a great-grandmother now, in the nursing home. They said, why, why do we cut the ends off of the pot roast? She said, what are you talking about? She said, on your recipe it says, cut the ends off the pot roast. She said, because I didn't have a pot big enough for the roast. (laughs) See, so much of our theology is in the same stream. We don't know why. But it's attached to something that made sense somewhere else, but it no longer makes sense because the thing that it made sense is not up there anymore. That's why relationship first, our father, not our grandfather, not our great-grandfather, not our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That it's a first-generation relationship there. For every generation, relationship has to be the paramount thing or we miss all of the meaning behind whatever we might be doing or not doing. And we've received from another generation. I think now we're two or three generations removed almost. And we don't even know why we do the things we do, but there's no relationship left in it. It's just we've been handed a codified set of duties that we're still trying to do, and we don't even like the guy we're trying to serve. Now, I, I know, I just said that. You see what I mean? How that can. And then. What do you mean we don't like him? We love him. Men love darkness rather than light, lest their deeds be made known. We don't come into his presence. We would avoid church at all costs. We don't read the Bible. We have no desire for the things that... See what I'm saying? That's that's what we've taken. We've taken this relationship and boiled it down to regimen that's dead and stale and dry and Oh, how I wish the Spirit of God would come in and kick over every sacred cow that you might have, that I might have, and that he might revarnish us according to his true identity where we actually look like him and think like him and breathe like him. And move like in Him we live and we move and we have our being. Don't give me a list of rules. Now, see, I am, I have been predisposed to this. I have a genetic advantage. I'm sorry. I was raised without rules. I thought that that would be, you know, that my upbringing, those things would be to my detriment. In many places, maybe they are, but here they're not. I have no problem questioning rules I have no problem going that's stupid I won't do it I have no problem using common sense as the lowest common denominator as to why I do something or just hearing God say do it and do it you see what I'm saying many people who are rule oriented and perfectionists in those places have a hard time with what I'm saying we do it because we do it because we do it right and I'm just not that person. And some of you are like, well, that's not good. We've got to have. We gotta have. I, and I'm not saying we're, we're discarding doctrine. Don't misunderstand me. I believe that, that right doctrine, but I wonder if our doctrine is right. I mean, we've got to be brave enough to look at our doctrine. And we've got to look with time to take the pulse of the church and see if we are, as the bride of Christ, actually, passionately, in love with our groom. I wouldn't marry this church if I were Jesus. Too moody. Too eyes drawn away by other lovers. Now when you know you've left Jesus not say that to the church of Ephesus, you've left your first love. Now here, when I met Mike, I mean, he he lived in Waco, right? Because that's where we went to school. Now it's two and a half hours away. Now Mike didn't have a car at all. I didn't have a car at all. He would find someone to get you back from Waco to Bowie, right? And then Seven miles separated us. He has ridden a bicycle. He has begged, borrowed, and stolen everything he could to get to Bellevue, Texas, right? And you know what I would do while he's trying to get seven miles to see me? We didn't have a phone. Well, he didn't have a phone. I had a phone, and he, he didn't have any money either, right? I missed that part. That's why you didn't have a car. I thought that was obvious. But what he also did is he would now. I would say Stowe, I'm not proud of this, but you took your sister's calling card, didn't you? Back then, you know in the days calling cards, you know you had that. Well, he ran up the bill so high that no one could pay it. <laughs> right? You had someone you needed to talk to, didn't you? he wrote me five or six letters a week and I wrote him five or six letters a week at least so yeah boxes of letters this was three years we did this he would send me he would say now make sure you write me a letter on Friday I'm gonna see him on Friday he said so when I get there on Monday I have a letter and I will make sure I drop a letter in on Friday so when Monday rolls around you have a letter now, did somebody, give us a, did somebody give us a list of rules how to engage in a relationship? No. And this is what I would do. You'll think I'm pathetic. And when he, would, when he was coming in, now Bellevue's position where there's a giant hill, and then you start coming into Bellevue, because I think that Bellevue's such a terrible place that the Lord wanted to be able to sneak up on it. You know what I mean? You just can't see it at all until it's too late. You know what I mean? Or you turn around and go the other way. So there's this big hill coming up, and then my house was just at the bottom of that hill there's like a big nice house there and it's like Lord's like psych <laughs> no it's the Booker's or the next stop <laughs> and so you come over that hill what I would do when I knew that he was coming in this is even after you finally got a car and you moved to Austin and then he would come in that's four hours away he would drive in every weekend from Austin he came in every weekend from Waco as much as he could I mean and that usually usually was every weekend wasn't it when he finally found someone he could hitch a ride with and they ride back and forth with them He has before ridden the bus and then had to walk back to campus, haven't you? He rode a bicycle on campus. I mean, he's pathetic. Gosh. So then I would, when he came in from Austin, he had his Honda Civic. We were were high class then, weren't we? And he would, I would stand out back at the post, you know, the fence post. And I would wait and I'd watch, I would watch headlights come over the hill. And I would, I could tell what headlights belong to pickups and cars, because I'd studied this all the time. And there was, there's a lot of headlights that look like Honda Civics. There's a lot of Honda Civics out there. This was 1984 Honda Civic. So they came over the, head, they come over the hill and I think, is that him, is that him? That's his headlights, I think there's a headlight. And then I would watch those headlights and if a blinker turned on, I'd be like, that's him. I would wait at that back until I saw his headlights. It wasn't enough. He was coming. It wasn't enough for me just to wait in the house for him to come to the door. I wanted to know the second his headlights broke over that hill. Why y'all think I did that? Because I love him. Was I afraid that he wasn't going to accept me? I knew he accepted me. I know he was excited to get there too he had worked all week and as soon as he could clock out on Friday he was driving to Bellevue Texas because he had a bride there now we're the church the bride of Christ when I'm talking about bridal identification, I have been blessed to have a wonderful marriage. I cannot stand up here and tell you how we trudged through the hard years, how we made it work, and how we, the Lord healed a marriage because of this. I, can't, I don't have that testimony. He and I hardly ever do marriage seminars or talk about marriage. Because we don't have a marriage that we had. People tell us all the time, those first three years, they're the rough ones. Me and him would go, I've never had a rough marriage. Is that okay to say? I have felt ashamed to tell people that in church. Because people are so like, well, aren't you perfect? No. No perfect at all. I just fell in love. I fell in love to a degree that that love was more important to me than anything else in my life. And I espoused myself to the belief system that I was going to be somebody's number one, just not my own. And he was going to be somebody's number one, just not his own. And we have lived that life for nearly, I don't know how long we've been married, 32 years, 31 years? Going on 32 years. So i tell you that when I talk about bridal identification, I have no qualms of being myself, my full undisclosed self to him, because I have no doubt that he loves me unreservedly. I can bust into his office. I don't care who he's talking to. I won't out of respect for what he may be doing, but I could. Do you see what I'm saying? If his children call, if you're talking to him and it's in, you're in the, heat, the throes of a discussion with him and he looks at that phone and it's one of his kids, you know what he's going to say? He's going to say, hang on just a second, got to take this. i believe that intercessory prayer would be no big deal if we had that kind of identification with christ bridal identification that's what i'm talking about see when i said that word y'all like oh that sounds that sounds good i'm talking about a kind of passionate love for the lord that will you can't you'll be waiting at the back gate for the headlights You think the Lord won't show up for that? He's not showing up because there's nobody waiting for his headlights. Because we're serving an austere, capricious God. We're all all agnostic in our belief system that God just plopped us here and we got to fend for ourselves and hope that we can please this fiery God who wants to beat the hell out of us. That's not who we serve. But Jesus came to rectify, to reclaim, reclamation, to reclaim the image of his Father. Thomas, have you been so long with me? Thomas, have you been so long and you haven't seen the Father? You're looking at the exact representation of the Father. Yes, John. No, it's it's love because if we don't have the relationship to precede it if we don't have the relationship to precede it then it just becomes legalism what I prefer to do is say "Oh, don't worry about that when we had the lesbian stripper get saved I didn't say oh we got to correct this I got to tell you you can't live with your girlfriend she was still coming with her girlfriend to church they lived together We didn't say anything. And, you know, and we had a great church. Lovely people who, I mean, they really were, right? And we're like, what do we need to do? Absolutely nothing. If it's God, God will be God all by himself. And we won't worry about it. And sure enough, it was God. Because the life begin to make the rules from a different pl- source from somewhere different not from here in here in doesn't make you holy if herein made you holy then I'd have you all holy you see what I'm saying it's here out I don't do anything to offend my husband because I love him and he doesn't take offense to all the stupid stuff I do because he loves me you see what I'm saying? He's unoffendable. Yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and then I teared up at verse 18 and said, and therefore the Lord waits that he may break you for. That's it. He's not waiting with the stick. He's no. If he... Oh, just a little bit. Just a little bit. That's so good. If we were... We were waiting. I, I want you. I hope you get that picture. I, you know, I, I, I don't. I've never shared that story about waiting. It makes me look kind of, re, kind of ridiculous, doesn't it? Golly, I mean, come on, get a life, girl. I had a life. You see what I'm saying? That was that was my life. So, what'd you say? It does <laughs> cheesy Christmas movie. But see, hey, hey, you've got. But then you've got this rough-cut girl who refused to say any vows. I mean, that's, that was me too. See, there's a lot of you know. I mean, I wouldn't say vows because I, I wasn't gonna. I just didn't want to. I just didn't want to be. I hate to be a spectacle, which is probably really odd to y'all. You don't sing "Happy Birthday" to me at a restaurant and put a sombrero on my head. <laughs> 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 so you see, there's this. See, there's this whole dynamic here. It's a little odd, right? You always say, there's one thing I can expect, the unexpected. So he'll, he'll give me orders sometimes. And, he said, and I said, I'm not going to do that. And he'll say, I thought I might get lucky this time. Every now and then, he said, one in ten times, I'll tell you to do something, I'll hit you at right the right frame of mind, and you'll just get up and do it. And I'll be like, oh, wow. So there's all this, you know, going on. Not that. I'm not a pushover, by any means. Just making sure you know that. So, what is it? Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. hmm Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. mm-hmm you right get us, you know. <laughs> well mm-hmm. nothing I just say you know what I do with that what Becky what I've learned to do with that is I am I am absolutely resolutely confident just like I'll use the relationship with me and Mike that I am so confident you could come to me and tell me something about that man that was unfavorable you could tell me he did something that was out of his character and there's no way in 10 million years you would be able to convince me of something negative about the person I know intimately you see what I'm saying and so when somebody comes to you and you're pushing up against that old order what I would do is just say here's what I do in in religion now I'll bring it frame it back into the church here's what I do with how I I believe that I hear from the Lord. I don't hear from the Lord perfectly. I don't call myself a prophet. I know what God speaks to me. And sometimes he doesn't tell me to tell you. You see, okay? you know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to impress you with how the Lord speaks to me. And so some things are for you and some things are just not. Some, some conversations are just frankly private. Just like with me and him. And when somebody tries to come up to me with their, I just say, cool, show me yours, I'll show you mine. You see what I'm saying? Live it your way. If you're if it's if you believe it that strongly, then I would never ask you to go against your convictions. It would be wrong for me to do so. But I'm going to live it my way and you live it your way. And we'll find out who has more life in the end. Do I say anything? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly right. And sometimes it's not an argument. And sometimes it's a hill worth dying on. You see what I'm saying? There are times. Yeah, that's good. That's been great advice to us. Absolutely. And it's not just fear, but it's the source where all fear is at. And I don't say this to be unfavorable to anybody, but all of my fear is the same place. Fear is always associated to ignorance not stupidity stupidity is you can't learn right ignorance is you don't know and so many times how many times have you been afraid of something that you were just ignorant of I have and I think that that's so many and, and to look at that through that compassion and we just pray Lord give them revelation and that's what I have to come back to even through this whole COVID thing and the quarantine the Lord really spoke to me about for years I have been trying to fix the there's four soul types, right soil types I'll say it for you Yankees so there's four soil sorry yeah I'm speaking to Sam here he's Hawaiian (laughs) you know (laughs) so there's four soil types and so with that I have spent a large portion of my life in ministry trying to repair the three that are never going to be productive you know what I mean instead of just focusing on the one that will because I get 30 60 and 100 there that's what you're saying work with the ones who work with you and smile at the ones who won't. I've wasted a lot of time trying to repair the three soul tops that are just never going to do anything anyway. How many of you have done the same thing? Man, you've just, you've tried to help the shallow, you've, the worldly. I mean, you've just worked and worked and toiled and labored and tried to get some production there. And you know what? If the, Jesus is telling the parable and he's not going to get production there, what makes me think I'm going to? So I'm trying to follow that advice because you know what? I'll return to form and start trying to repair soil. soil. So as we go here, now I told you we're going to Genesis 24. And we're talking about bridal relationship here. I really wanted to punch this because I know I didn't take time with it last week. And I felt like there was more revelation in it. And I have a tendency to do that. I tend to think that you know, that, you know, you, you know what I'm thinking. And so, but I know you don't. So, Genesis 24 and 1. Now, Abraham was old, advanced in years, and Adonai blessed Abraham in everything. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who managed everything that belonged to him, now put your hand under my thigh, that I may make an oath with you. And that was just the way they made oaths, putting under your thigh. So they went on. It says, he told him, he said, go to my, go to my relatives and bring a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, suppose the woman is unwilling to follow me back to this land. Should I have your son go back to the land you came from? Abraham told him, see to it that you do not return my son there. Adonai, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from my native land and spoke to me and made a pledge to me saying, to your seed I will give this land and I will send his angel before you and he will take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow after you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Nevertheless, you must not return my son here, or son there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and he made a pledge concerning this matter. So we know, if you know the story, you know that the servant went and he took camels and he said, let the woman, he went to the well and he said, let the woman who offers me a drink of water be the one. Show me. He put a a fleece sort of out there. Well, Rebecca's the one who came up to him, and she said, Lord, can I offer you a drink of water? Or he asked for a drink of water. She said, yes, and she'll offer. She let down her pitcher, and she said, but let me water your camels, too. Now, that may just be like, if you got your Western garden hose, psh, that's how I water my camels. I don't have camels. The camels, now Mike's already left, he probably has the statistics in his head right now of how many gallons a camel holds after it's, I mean, this, these things, these dudes can hold the water. Now, and she didn't have a hose, she had a what? Y'all know what she had, right? She had a pot, a clay pot of some kind. And the whales, how'd the whales look? Yeah, they were dug out and they had stairs that went down to the water. Let's just think about this. And she went down there, she had to fill that pot, and what'd she do? She ran up those stairs, and there was a trough out there, and she'd pour it out. And she, as soon as she poured it out, what'd she do? Boy, she got her steps in that day, didn't she? And she'd get that, and she'd come back, and she would go, and she would... Now, how many of you have already saw the portrait here of the servant going to prepare a bride, to claim a bride? Now, we know the Holy Spirit, see? He's groaning to make us the bride of Christ. To bring us that identification, that bridal identification, to where that we have those eyes. You know, Songs of Solomon, you should read that in the context of the Bride of Christ. In Christ, that I, my beloved, I have dove's eyes. As I'm waiting for Mike to come over that hill, I have dove's eyes. That he has brought me into his feasting house, and his banner over me is love. That's, that's my Jesus. I love Jesus. He's my groom. Oh, that the bride of Christ could have a heart that goes passionate as the deer pants after the water brook. So my soul longs after you. I love for the groom that would cause you to cut loose every other attachment and affiliation. Do you think that I would have a strong marriage if I went and got up and you know cook supper and breakfast for some other man across town no nah. I wouldn't be cool at all but we act like the Lord is just supposed to take our leftovers and drugs and be happy with them we wouldn't go we offer the water because that's easy I already had it was convenient I just had the pot here and I'd already been down once and you're asking me for water? Sure. He didn't say, he didn't say, would you water my camels too, honey? That wasn't even his fleece, was it? What was his fleece? Just offer him, be amenable to offering him water. Do you think he was blown away? I'm telling you, the bride of Christ bridal identification will be a house of servants servants that you don't have to yoke them with the yoke of servitude they will serve they will say let me go down let me go get water let me and keep doing it until the job is done oh for servants for brides in the house who would serve at the master's pleasure until the job was done Wouldn't that be great? So the Holy Spirit has gone to get a bride. That's what he's doing right now. And I believe, I believe he is making her ready. And I believe that he is going to have a beautiful, glorious church that does not have spot, nor does it have wrinkle. The portrait of the church, let me see what time it is. Okay. The portrait of the church. Listen to this my victory is because of my union in relationship my victory is because of my union in relationship not the other way around my union in relationship is not the cause of my victory see that that when you go the opposite way it leads you back to legalism because what happens there is you get performance oriented and you start looking at your performance as a checklist and you start trying to make yourself qualified by what you've done. That'd be the same thing as if every day I got up and told mine, well, I folded your load of clothes and I put them up. I cooked your supper and I did this and I did that. Now I want you to do this and that. You know, a lot of marriages run that way. They do because we do marriage counseling. And they all, husband and wife who are fixing to fall out with divorce, they're just, they, don't, they don't come to us until it's basically, they've already driven the last nail in anyway. By the time they get desperate enough to come to us, they didn't come to us on the onset. They come to us when it's like so far down, they want it's like, it's like me standing at the tomb of Lazarus. I had a couple come into our office one time. They argued. They said, I hate arguing. I do. People who bicker, I can't stand it to hear bickering. And they were like, oh, he said, and they were just what they were doing, back and forth, just... I don't normally do it you I'm not the counselor of me and Mike he's way more like yes tell me how you feel <laughs> hmm day has got a good poker face I don't have a good po- I'm like you know <laughs> if you play cards with me now I've got a good hand you're all folding because you know it you like, know what are you betting <laughs> losers <laughs> you know it's not good so They're sitting across from us, and they're just bickering back and forth. And I finally go, oh, my gosh. And I hit my hand on the desk, and I said, just get divorced for God's sake. (laughs) I can't take it. You hate her. She hates you. You should have never got married in the first place, and there's no way 15 minutes with us is going to salvage this train wreck of a relationship. Dear God, leave You know what they did? I don't don't hate him. I love him. No, you don't. You love yourself. Nobody who loves another person speaks to him that way. You've got your scorecard and he's got his, and y'all are constantly playing on your own team. And they did wind up getting divorced. Not because I told them to. I had nothing to do with it. Because they didn't even understand the qualifications for marriage. They didn't understand the two becoming one flesh. They didn't understand the idea of taking it on the chin to protect the one you love, even if you look bad as a result of it. They were like, and I didn't. You know what? This is just one relationship. This relationship hierarchy will extend all the way to siblings it will extend to it'll extend to children and parents. I know it's harder. It's harder in those next layers. It is. It is harder because you have less contact with one another. But it will still extend when you serve. The bride of Christ will be a servant. That is part of bridal identification as being a servant. It is sad to me that 60% of marriages end in divorce in the church. It's sad, but it's 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 indicative to me of where the church is at. The church has no idea what it means to be the bride of Christ. If we were good at being the bride of Christ, we'd be better at marriages. We didn't know. See, Paul says, Behold, I show you a great mystery, but I speak of Christ in the church. We'd be better at parent-children relationship if we understood the Heavenly Father. The Spirit groans within us for beloved identification I never question whether my husband loves me I never ever 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 question it I don't I just don't question it I don't question because I understand the relationship nor do I question if God loves me I don't question it no matter what's going on in the world I don't question it if I get healed or I don't I don't question it I am my beloved, and he is mine. Years ago, my uncle, who was a Bible teacher, his name was Andrew. My name's Andrea, so you get the connection there. My uncle Andy, he told a story when he was teaching. He, Andy was a paraplegic. He had been injured in a car wreck when he was 21. He was a drunk driver, and he flipped a car, coming back from a rodeo, and he was left paralyzed from the waist down. He spent years being a drug addict, an alcoholic, but he was one of the most, vit- he was an artist, a Western artist. I mean, he was a character, colorful character. He had an open heart surgery that nearly killed him and wound up in the nursing home where he began to see visions of heaven and things and God saved him gloriously. And he became a Bible teacher. And of course, in, para- in, in Pentecostal circles, if you're paraplegic, you're like every evangelist who comes in, you're, you, you're a trophy, man, he, he handled it with such grace. They'd drag him down there and try to pull him up out of that wheelchair. I mean, he was all for being healed, you know, and never had every reason in the world why he couldn't be healed. You, you know, you've heard, you've been there, right? And so I asked Andy one time, I was like, Andy, because I was a teenager, because every time that evangelist came and said, Lord told me you're going to walk, I believed it. You know what I'm saying? And so they pulled him down there and he and Andy, you know, and you can put whatever qualification you want on it, but he was one of the wisest men I've ever known. And one of the he and my grandmother they lived together, she took care of him right next door to us. And so he was like a grandfather to me. He and my grandmother have more imparted more wisdom in my life than any other two people on the planet. And so I asked him, I said, Andy, why aren't you healed? Everybody keeps saying that. Why aren't you healed? He said, Andrea Everybody looks at this world and this life and they think it's so important. He said, this life is just a short time. He said, you see when an evangelist or somebody sees this wheelchair, they see it as my infirmity. He said, I see it as the grace of God. He said, I could have flipped that car and died that day. He said, and I'd still be in hell. He said, this wheelchair is a portrait of God's grace because if it wasn't for this chair, Andrea, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. So I thank God for his grace. So when you see, other people see it as an infirmity to be healed, and he said, I believe the Lord could heal me. He said, I don't see it. He said, I see it as a portrait of his grace to bring me to the place where I serve him. And he, he studied the Bible all the time. And he was a Bible teacher, and he told this story. He said, "Now we're talking about beloved identity. He said, there was a man who was eating out of the trash can of a restaurant. The restaurant owner went out in the alley to empty the trash and saw the man eating out of the trash can and was so moved. He couldn't believe that another human being was digging around the trash can of his restaurant and he was eating the garbage that the man was throwing out. And he told the homeless man, he said, come in. He said, you never, ever, 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 ever have to eat out of a trash can again. He said, see my restaurant, I have a buffet in here. He said, you can eat here three times a day, four times a day, anytime you're hungry. Come to my restaurant and you can eat all your heart's content. You can eat here morning, noon, and night. It's all free to you, no charge. I never want to see another person eat out of the trash can. And the man walked in and he looked and he said, I can eat anything I want. He said, anything you want, anything you want. He said, oh, thank you so much, that's great. The man at the restaurant, he came back the next day and he took out the trash and who did he find in the alley? But the man eating out of the trash can. And I heard that story for years and years, and I've thought about it so many times, so many, many times. And I've taught it before, and I've taught it like this: Why, why would you want to keep eating out of the trash can when he's giving you this? How dare you eat out of the trash can? He's giving you a buffet. He's giving you a buffet. Why? See, because I'm trying to prepare the three soul tops. See what I'm doing all the time? Don't eat out of the trash can. What's wrong with you? See, I'm quitting eating out of the trash can. I'm using you as an example. You see what I'm saying? why are you eating out of the trash can why why don't you know the trash can and that's how my teaching has been and it still can land that way because I know the buffet but as I wrote my notes here it's starting to come more clear to me the message is not how dare you the message is why are you Why are you? And the Holy Spirit is teaching me the reason why so many people are still eating out of the trash can. They have no idea of their identification. They don't know beloved identification. You see what I'm saying? And so that's been my new mission is somehow the Spirit of God would anoint me to open that up And make you fall in love with Jesus in a way that would cause you to serve. Not from a place of trying to check off a standard of holiness. But you would aim at acceptance and you'll hit holiness every time. But if you aim at holiness... You'll never hit acceptance. So that's been my message here, not the message of how, how dare you, but with God's help, how, why are you? Yes. Yes, it. That's it, and that is And it's it's already freely given. There's nothing to be done, is it? And I know that the world has beat us up and relationships have screwed you up. We've all been there, right? Tell me, if, raise your hand if you've made it through life without one disappointment or being unscathed in the relationship. No hand goes up. But I'm telling you, he sees and he knows fully and he still loves you and accepts you. Yes? <laughs> no. if, I know in the wrong sense, sometimes if you look at the next verse, it said it's talking about judgment. Mhm. We don't fear judgment because the judgment has taken place on Jesus. Right. There is no fear in love. So if I have fear, it's going to separate the relationship. Mhm. spoil the relationship. Because we don't seem right. Absolutely, and He accepted me when I was unloved, and when I was unlovable, and He cleansed me, and He everything that qualifies me for His presence, He bequeathed it to me in a love relationship. So I don't come to church to get spiritual brownie points. I don't pray to get spiritual brownie points. I don't do anything I do because I want to get something from Him. I do it because I've received all from Him, and I love Him. I love Him. I think you understand that when I say that about my husband. But I show you a great mystery. I speak of Christ and His church. Let's pray. Father, we ask you, Holy Spirit, teach us this bridal identification. Reorient us to you in a love relationship that outperforms performance, that outprays the prayer warriors. A place of just authentic grace where miracles flow freely. Anointing is divested by grace and grace alone. And hope and joy are effortless in your presence. Give us a taste of who you really are and let us abide in union with you. We love you and we thank you that we are accepted in the beloved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah. That's good. Not bad. Yeah. Howard we
1: Howard. what